The idea of job security is outdated as a landline. If you haven't been in a search for a while, it's probable you will at some point, by choice or not. Most executives admit to staying way too long or sense what's coming and justify staying anyway. Here, there's another reason. The faulty belief that navigating to what's next will inevitably be worse and has to suck. Screw that. Lauren Greif has spent a lifetime in corporate and executive search, calling bullshit on stale career advice that most still use. This is Career Blast in a Half, the career podcast for executives ready to cut past outdated career advice to fuel your outcomes now. So let's go. I don't know if it's ever happened to you, but it's happened to me. You've heard these things before, and then somehow somebody out of the blue says that thing and it tears through you like it's the first time you ever heard it. That's what happened to me when I first met Mary Abijay, and she said in a booth conference, Chicago booth conference for women, you know, nobody is going to save you. And I could feel it going through my body like, I hate you and I love you at the same time because you're so right. Mary Abijay, you have been talking about managing up and toxic bosses, and you have a fabulous podcast, Cubicle Confidential, which I love to binge. And here you are today. You have been just such a light for me. Thank you for coming. And would you please explain to us not only who you are, but why you got so interested in this topic of managing up? Well, as soon as I stopped weeping, Lauren, because that was the most amazing intro. I'm seriously like, you're making me Oliver clumped. But so, hi, everybody. Lauren, thanks for having me on here. You know, I came into this for a couple of reasons. One is, like you, I've had toxic workplace experiences. I've had that screamer, shouter, bully, the boss that demeans and debases you. Quite frankly, that's no way to live. And so many of us spend most of our waking hours at work, right? And those hours should be good hours. They should be hours where we are valued. They should be hours where we get to use our hearts, our minds, our brains, our intellect, our spirit. And nobody deserves to be in a position or space where someone is just crushing your soul. And that's really how I got into it was like, I just want people to be empowered to take control of their workplace experience, to take control of their careers, and to take control of their lives because our work experience, our workplaces have a big impact on our personal lives. And I really want people to have great lives. I just really do. A hundred percent. I mean, right before we started recording this, you shared a picture of the two of us at that conference. And I was... Speaking from truth, you know, I looked good on the outside. I was smiling. I had, you know, the the corporate kind of persona going on. But inside, I was miserable. And a lot of that misery was coming from both an environment that I was misaligned to and a boss who was crushing my soul. And so the first thing I want to ask you about that is when we suspect that it's let's just say the problem is out there, right? Like the boss is the reason why, or, you know, that's the culprit for my misery. How do we kind of peel those two things apart and say, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Like, I know I'm not imagining this, but how much of this is my responsibility? 
and how much of this is something that is just plain old out of my control and how do we kind of go through that sifting and sorting process to figure out if this is never going to change. Yeah. It's not us, it's them. <laughs> it's right. You know, I think you have to, there's a couple of things you want to do. You want to, first of all, you have to trust your gut. You have to really trust what you are experiencing. What are the feelings? You also want to look around like it might be that this person is a bully to everybody or it might just be for you. And if this is something that's new to you, like you've had some jobs before and they've been fine, then suddenly you find your soul being crushed. Chances are it's not you. Now, if you every job you ever take, you find that you're working for a jerk, it might be you. <laughs> you never know. But when you feel like every day you go into work that you want to cry or that you are spending more time like worried or stressed about how you're going to interact with in the workplace or how you're going to deal with your boss, when you feel like every day is like you have to go to jail, when you feel like your self-esteem is completely disintegrated, when you start to come get sick a lot and your friends tell you, you know, dude, you got to leave that job, you need to really listen. You need to listen to your inner voice, your inner self, and the people around you. I get more cards and letters and, oh, I mean, like actually tweets and emails from people whose their significant other or their friend or their spouse or their loved ones are stuck in a toxic workplace. And they email me saying, can you help me save them? And I have to say, no, they can only save themselves. And so you just have to trust yourself and then do something about it. Mm -hmm. And this is complicated, right? Because what makes it more complicated is when people are potentially the breadwinner or they are, let's just say, holding out for a bonus or they need that job for the benefits or a hundred other different reasons why they suit up and show up and have to endure that. What do you say to them when they're like, you know what, Mary, like, let's face it, you don't really understand because I have these responsibilities and I need this paycheck and I need this job. And worse, do you know how long it's going to take me to go find whatever's next? So I'm just going to stay here and shelter. That's exactly what happens. People stay for all sorts of reasons. All of them may be valid, but they may not be helpful. People stay because they think that, oh, I put so much time into this job, so much time into this company. You know, I'm not willing to give up what I've built. They may stay because I'm not going to find this kind of money elsewhere. They might stay because, you know, I just think that, you know, if I just do this thing or I try it this way, that it will get better. Or I stay because I want to protect the people around me. Or I stay because I think somebody's going to notice what a jerk this person is or what a toxic... And someone's going to do something about it. And the truth is, probably no one is going to do anything about it. No one's going to come save you. HR might want to save you. But what happens in toxic work cultures is that they don't have the power to because the toxicity often sits at the very top of the organization. And I don't know, an HR director wouldn't want to, but cannot, who would want to, but has no power to get rid of, say, the president or the vice president or someone in the C-suite. And then another thing that happens is that the person who is toxic, the boss that is toxic, is oftentimes what we call the brilliant jerk, right? The person that's the big money maker or the big name. And they are not going to, organizations are not going to get rid of that person. They are not going to walk their talk. And so there really comes a point where you have to decide for yourself what you need to do. Now, 
people, research shows that people will stay in these toxic places two years longer than in other uh, similar organizations that are not toxic for all the reasons that we just talked about. And what I want to really, what I want to really get over to people, what I want them to understand is that that's really kind of, it may be valid, but it's false economic reasoning. So that's the sunk cost people are talking about. Like, you're never getting that back. You're not getting back those hours or those days or the weeks, right? But what you're missing out on is what we call the opportunity cost. And the opportunity cost is what are you losing by not putting yourself through your next best effort, right? And you are actually shortchanging yourself by staying in a place that is destroying your soul. Mm. I love that you're talking about sunk costs. And I think that this is also, you know, in the mindset and in the spirit of zooming past stinky career advice, what I want to say is for all of those who may be on the market now, for all of those who are considering leaving for a variety of reasons, including a toxic boss or toxic culture or any of that, that sunk cost isn't just a monetary thing, right? When we're talking about so many other things and to your earlier point, we cannot keep our careers in a compartment. They spill over onto all kinds of things. And, you know, I just know that when we met, the anxiety was so high that it was damaging my personal relationships for sure. And worse, my entire self-esteem. Well, so that is... You are absolutely right. So the other thing people need to know is that staying or working in a toxic culture or for a toxic boss will physically affect your health in a very bad way. It will damage your physical health. Research shows that people that are staying in toxic organizations uh, have a 60, that's 60% increase in their likelihood of stroke and cardiac disease. It decimates your immune system. So you are much more susceptible to colds, to flus, to covid to strokes, all sorts of things. It absolutely destroys your self-esteem and your self-image. The mental health professionals compare this to battered spouse syndrome and PTSD. And the longer people stay in these toxic environments, the longer it takes to recover. It can take upwards of two, three, four years to fully recover from the impact of a toxic work experience. One other thing I'll say about this is if you are one of these people on the feds going, yeah, but I'm not sure. Like the devil I know is better than the devil I know. Let me tell you this. I have probably spoken to over 10,000 people now that the book has come out. And I've spoken to thousands and thousands of them who have had toxic work experiences. And I have never, ever met even one person that said to me, you know, Lauren, I should have stayed at that toxic job a little bit longer. <laughs> Nobody. Everybody says, I wish I had left sooner. So you really do have to take charge of your life by taking charge of your workplace experience. Yeah, but all those people who haven't necessarily gotten there are thinking somehow, some way that they're going to beat the system. They're going to beat the system. And you know, occasionally it happens. Occasionally that person might retire and you'll be free, but I would not bet on it. And you know, find this a lot in what we call high meaning careers. So you're going to have something like 20% of bosses exhibit toxic behaviors. And we find those toxic behaviors are very prevalent in the fields of medicine, law, and politics. And nonprofits too, by the way. Wow. 
But people stay in those jobs because the jobs have so much personal meaning to them. Exactly. There's a lot of emotionality around it, right? So on the flip side, we just talked about like all the ick, right? All the stuff that just literally is like the worst feelings that you could have. I want you to share with us now that we have gotten to, you know, our own level of reality. Oh, yeah, like this is happening and I can't take it one more second. That's where I was. I can't take it one more second. So what do we do when we are finally at the place that says, you know what? No one is going to save me. And now I'm, I got to leave. How do we reconcile that? Even though we haven't officially left yet, how do we reconcile that and make the best with what we're doing as part of our exit strategy? Yeah. So first of all, I would call you. <laughs> I would start tuning into your podcast and following your LinkedIn because really what you're going to do is you're going to set yourself for a job search. You know, there's not a lot of us that can just say, F you, I'm out of here, take this job and shove it and walk out without another job, right? So we're going to want to actually start thinking about what we want to do next. And so this turns into sort of a classic job search. Now, if you're leaving because of, of toxicity, then I really would encourage you to get like a coach or some, uh, some support in your network to like pump your self-esteem back up. So the first thing you can do is you can start looking within your own organization. Like you don't have to leave your company. Perhaps you could just leave your boss and find something else to do. So looking into some internal mobility might be really great. But if you decide that you want to leave your company, then it's just a classic job search, Lauren, right? You've got to start looking around. What do you want? It's a great time to like reevaluate your whole career path. What kind of an organization do you want? What kind of a culture are you looking for? Where do you want your career to go? Where do you want your career to grow? And then really just start looking around opportunities. But I do recommend that you have somebody that's supporting you psychologically, emotionally to like make sure you're making a good choice. Because what you don't want to do is just jump out of this pan into another, whatever that expression is. Like all the time, all the time. I mean, I hear this a lot, a lot. You know, people will come to me and they'll say, you know, I've been in this horrible toxic work environment. And I said, how are you going to guard against repeating that? Because that's a big fear for them. And that maybe their picker is broken, right? And a lot of their picker might be broken is because it's been damaged. And so, you know, showing up damaged doesn't necessarily allow your picker to necessarily, you know, rebuild itself. There's so much like dating too. Like think about it. How many friends do you have that keep picking the wrong person <laughs> every time? <laughs> or different versions of the same person. Completely. And not knowing how to break that cycle. Maybe I should go backwards a little bit because let's just say, okay, now you're resigned. You're going into this job search, but you're still being managed by this boss. How do you, let's pretend that this boss is, let's say they're, you need to manage up to somebody who's 20 years younger than you. And there's a lot of ego or a boss that is remote that doesn't give you the time of day, but then throws you under the bus. (laughs) So how do you manage that interim step? Oh, okay. So that's a great question. So if the boss is just difficult, like let's say you have a boss that is a ghost, right? So I wouldn't actually think of a ghost as a toxic boss, but if you need more from your boss and you're not getting it. You know, so for a ghost type of a boss, you really do need to be very proactive about getting what you need from them. You got to kind of stalk them a little bit. And you also want to figure out what it is that you need to be successful while you're still there. 
from your colleagues and go and get it. Like, so you really do have to like kind of use different strategies for the different styles of bosses. Uh, if your boss is just kind of generally toxic and you're trying to survive until you can get out to thrive, then a couple of things I would say for that. One is you have to protect your mental health, which means you've got to do whatever you can to prevent their poison from seeping into you. So let's say your boss is a screamer, shouter, bully, narcissist. What I want you to do is I want you not to allow any of that to impact you. You've got to play whatever Jedi mind trick you can to separate you from them. You know, sometimes it's about zooming out and imagining them that they're this little character in a cartoon, or you imagine yourself 20 years from now, or you just do whatever you can so that you diminish their impact. You also want to avoid as much direct contact with this person as possible if they are toxic, which literally means try not to be in a room alone with them or try not to be in a meeting with them very often. Work more more remotely. The last opportunity that they have to like infect you with their poison, the better it is. And really start focusing on some positive imaging around what it's going to be like when you are free. So you really all around. This is why you need support network. It's all around like really minimizing any more damage that this person can do to you. Awesome. So I love these on the fly question. Friend or foe? HR question mark. Do you bring it to HR? Do you like show your cards? Do you like put this on record? I mean, because when I did that, they're like, well, how long has this been going on for? It's like, oh, geez. Like, I feel like like I can't win for losing because if I put it on the record earlier, then I would have also been biting the hand that feeds me. So what do you do? Friend or foe? So that's a great question. It's a very contextual question. So I think it really depends on your organization and the history and the power that HR has within that organization to do anything. And that is completely uneven across the board. I would say in a smallish organization, the HR probably has very little power. I would say in a larger organization, you have a maybe a better chance of your HR having some power or having like some record of being effective and impactful. So before bringing it to HR, and the same goes for going to your boss's boss, right? Because your boss's boss may really like that person. They may have been the ones that hired that person. So before you say anything, I would recommend doing a little bit of research around how effective HR has been in handling other comments or complaints. Because as much as I want to encourage people to be the whistleblower and to do the right thing, we all know what happens to whistleblowers. So you want to make sure that you have really checked out the situation and the sort of history of HR's ability to navigate these things before you raise it. Okay. So I want you to help us out with this next one because I've been like really guilty. What should we be saying or not saying in the office environment and or outside the office environment about that toxic boss? Like where do we want to kind of like protect our friends who are colleagues who are working there? Do we want to just like, how do we handle that? Because again, we're human. So again, this is going to depend on on how much you want to put yourself out there. I will talk about this externally and then internally. So when you're talking about your boss externally, well, let's start with the exit interview. Let's say you are leaving. You do want to be, you want to be careful what you say in the exit interview. Feel free to tell the truth 
And also be aware that if you ever need that person to give you a recommendation, you ain't going to get it. So you got to decide how to skirt that in the exit interview. When you get your new job, I highly recommend that you don't say anything about the toxicity for about six months into your new job. So for example, let's say I started working for you, Lauren, and let's say I left a toxic boss. You don't know me yet. Like, for the first six months of working, and so I could start bad-mouthing my old boss and saying what a jerk he, she, or they were. And you're going to be like, I don't know, Mary, is she going to talk about me like that someday? So wait until you've built some trust and respect with your current boss to talk about your old boss until they really know you and know what you're saying is true and not just sour grapes. So that goes for the interview too. Even though we all love to hear about the toxic people in other people's lives, watch it. With your personal friends, I think you're absolutely should talk about it as after you leave the organization. And so let's say one of your colleagues comes over and says, Oh my God, how did you get out of here? Like so and so toxic. I say, talk about it. Help the other people, lend a helping hand, row a life raft to other people. And you know, I think if you are working for someone's toxic in the organization, I would share it with my colleagues. Why not? See what, you know, or, or maybe you don't like, you got to be careful what you say. Like, I'm not going to be in the cafeteria going, oh my God, Joanne is such a jerk, blah, blah, blah. But I might over drink say, hey, Lauren, have you been having, I'm having a little bit of challenge navigating so-and-so. What's your experience with them? So I would start with more of a dialogue to find out what other people are experiencing as well. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so it's really hard not to get invested in case building. I've been very guilty of that, especially in my last role. And so I just wanted to make sure that you had the opportunity to share some good guidelines, because I think that when we are under that level of stress, we are so hungry, maybe even desperate for that validation and acknowledgement, maybe even like just some soothing, right? That that's okay. So managing up, let's just say you're not going to leave but you just want to do a better job of managing up. What are some of your best tips and things that we need to know that may even be different from what our old ideas have been around managing up, aka brown nosing or aka, you know, just kind of contorting ourselves. Sometimes I call it like the Cirque du Soleil, you know, like, oh, here I am. Like, you like peanuts? I like peanuts. Like, <laughs> what can we do to better manage up while maintaining our level of integrity and dignity? I love that question. So, you know, I think it first starts with the definition. So when I think about managing up, I don't think about managing that person. I think about managing that relationship. And I look at it as being uh, very proactive where you can consciously and deliberatively like build a productive and positive working relationship with that person so that you can succeed, they can succeed, and the organization can succeed. So I think of it like as a threefer. And I think of it, you know, when that person might have a different level of power, which they certainly do, different perspective, different experiences, different priorities, different expectations, and different pet peeves. So really figuring out who that person is and how do they operate. And then taking a look at how you operate and what are the gaps? Where are you alike and where are you the same? You know, like really try to figure out what is it that you're willing to do a little bit more of, a little bit less of, a little bit differently to close that gap while still being the authentic you? Or what are some requests that you need to make to that person to enhance your communication and collaboration? I mean, so often we expect our bosses to be mind readers and they're not. And let's also be honest, 
most bosses aren't really very good at being bosses. So what we want to be able to do is really figure out what is it that we can do from where we sit in the relationship to make it work for us, for them, and for the organization so that we can accomplish our goals. It really isn't about being a sycophant or a patsy or a butt kisser. That It's not about sucking up. It really isn't. It's about taking control of the relationship from where you sit in it so it can be effective. And you want to look at things like their communication style, their collaboration style, or their decision-making style, whether or not, you know, how, what's their proclivity towards punctuality? You know, are they task-oriented people? Are they people-oriented people? And you always want to look at like what really matters to your boss. Like what does your boss really care about? And this is a place where I think people get really judgmental about other people. You don't need to judge what your boss wants. You don't even have to agree with it. You don't even have to help them get it. That's all on you. But you do need to know what they prioritize because that will be a really big clue as to their behavior because what we prioritize drives our behavior. So take a good look at who your boss really is, not who you wish they were, not who they should be, but who are they really? And how can you find a way to work with that person so that you are still your authentic self and that you are getting what you need to be successful? Okay, this is my favorite part of the interview now. We're going to do a role play. And so you're the boss. You're always the boss, Mary. And the bossy, but as a <laughs> And so you have been taking credit for my work. Okay. Right? And you've also been diminishing my efforts, not just stealing my ideas and taking credit for them, but in the process, you've been really denigrating and pushing me down. And so now I come to you and I say something like, here I am, I'm trying to manage up, right? That's what the scenario is all about. So Mary, you know, I couldn't help but notice last week, you know, that was an idea that I brought forward and you then presented it to the C-suite. And you said that, you know, you came up with this idea over the weekend when we had already talked about it. Like, why'd you do that? What did I do wrong? How does this go? Like, correct, like, make this like something that, because this happens all the time. How do I handle this? Well, Lauren, you know, I am the boss. And so any idea that comes out of the team is essentially going to be my idea. And, you know, I, I think if everyone assumes that you all had some role to play in it, but, you know, that's just the way it is here. <laughs> that's what a jerk boss would say, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, so what should I have said to you? And what could I say as part of a response that doesn't sound defensive or backing you into a corner? Yeah. So here's a really tricky one. I really believe that bosses that steal their team's ideas are probably on the verge of being toxic. And so it depends on who your boss is. They may never be able to hear that feedback. What you might want to do instead is make a request of the boss. So you might want to say something like, hey, I'll call myself Mary. Hey, Mary, so excited that, you know, that the powers that be love the idea that you presented. The team and I would love it if we could get a little bit of credit for that idea because we really want to make sure that the whole team is able to further this idea. So you might want to make a request or you might say, you know, I'm so happy that this idea was so successful. What can we do to be more visible within that project? How can we as a team get more visibility on this? This is a project that we're all really passionate about and we'd love to have a larger role to play. So you might go at it like that because a boss that's an idea stealer probably isn't going to like to be called out on it, even though they should be. 
So I might make a request around, I might make a request around having more visibility in the project. And then what I would do, and this is a little Machiavellian, but then what I would do is around the water cooler, I would be talking about this idea as it came from us and the team. I'd be like, you know, oh my gosh, I'm so excited. You know, the team and I, I would definitely say the team and I, you know, gave our so-and-so boss this idea and apparently it got approved. We're so excited. So I would do the little info spreading below the C-suite service. Or next time I saw my boss's boss, I'd say like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited that you loved our team's idea about XYZ. Mm-hmm. Yes. I would do a little grapevining on that one too. There is no easy answer. There are. This is really intricate and probably something that, you know, you should not try at home alone, right? Yeah. And, a- and it's around like really like laying out all the different scenarios, all the different ways that you, because this is an art form, laying out all the different scenarios and what might be the likely responses for each one. And then having a trusted colleague or someone who knows the culture of the organization, really having them say, I think this strategy is your best bet. This one's uh, not so good. This one has more danger than this one because every organization has a different culture. You know, it might be the culture of this organization to do this, you know, to diminish the employees while the managers take all the credit. Or it might be this rogue manager and nobody knows that he's stealing the ideas. He's sure they are stealing the ideas. So you've really got to do a little bit of recon into the organizational, you know, culture, the climate. Yeah, this is tough. And I'll just say my heart goes out to you because most people that I know that are in these situations are saying to themselves or out loud, you know what, I just want to do my effing job. Like, I really don't want to have like all this other static or, you know, noise. I just want to like produce good work and, you know, be able to exercise my talent, my skills, my impact. And so I feel for you. And this is why you should not only get Mary Abijay's book, Managing Up, but you should also listen to her podcast, Cubicle Confidential. So I should follow you too, Lauren, because if you are feeling that every day, like there's so much noise, I'm telling you, there are organizations where the noise is at a minimum, right? So that might be a really good sign that you're just misaligned in your current place. There's no danger in looking. There's no danger in exploring. There's no losing by just looking around, having conversations, networking with people, thinking about where could you have a better impact and a better fit for you. A hundred percent. I have the same experience that you do. Every single person who has ever come to Portfolio Rocket has said, I wish I did this earlier. I wish I did this earlier. I wish I knew about these systems and this curriculum earlier because I would not be, you know, in another J-O-B and my compensation would have been at market value or I would have this learning under my belt so that the next time and the next time I wasn't back on those job boards and like just hitting apply now. And that's why what you do, Lauren, is such a gift to the world because you take the fear, the angst, the anxiety, the horror of having to do a job search, like you not only make it fun, but you really show people how to do it in a way that's going to be energizing, that's going to be hopeful, that's going to be successful. Because I think so many of us just like the idea of looking for a new job is just defeating. And so what you give people, quite frankly, my friend, is hope. And you give them the energy and you give them the inspiration that they too can find that job that's going to fuel their soul. Thank you so much, Mary. So generous. So here are your three signature questions, and I can't wait to hear what your answers are. 
I am a big post-it lover. And so coming out of this episode, what should people be putting on their desktop, laptop as the reminder with respect to managing up? I think they need to put a picture of themselves at their when they're feeling alive, when they're feeling happy, when they're feeling like they've really succeeded on something, like some like token of memory that says, yeah, I am hot shit. Okay. So maybe that's the post-it. I am hot shit. Yeah. Or, or, or a good visual cue. The second question is, and you can include your book, so don't hide from that. What is the most important career book that everyone must be reading to stay current in today's marketplace? Mm, that's a really good question. I'm just going to say my book because I don't, that way I don't want to leave anybody else out. <laughs> managing up. Yes, managing up. Right. Because like your career, it's never going away. Right. Like you said before we got onto the recording, right? This is something you practice. And then lastly, ooh, this is going to be a good one. What's your walk-up song? My walk-up song is Got To Be Real by Cheryl Lynn. It's a great old disco song. and It's all about being real. And you had me a disco. (laughs) I could never thank you enough in words. I always credit my freedom and my ability to take a step when I really just needed that so much. It was like literally like a gift from the universe. And ever since then, I've been following you, buying your book, listening to your podcast, admiring you from afar, keep your energy close by, and continue to appreciate you every single day for the gifts and the opportunity that you've given me. And that is from my heart. Thank you so much, Rianne. Cried again. Again, I know. And it's been such a joy to watch your huge success just skyrocket. I am your biggest fan and I adore you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining today. We appreciate your listening ears. Big time. We ask this. Use these tools, not tomorrow, right now, and share them by spreading the love. Leaving us a rating and subscribe so you don't miss the next career blast in a half. Most of all, thank you for you.